Let's go to Genesis chapter 7 again this week. Last week, we essentially considered God's great flood. Now, I just did a basic flyover of that. There's much we could have gotten into. It's a topic that people will spend a lifetime uh, studying and defending and presenting. And we don't, I didn't want to take time for that. Maybe I should say it that way. If you're interested in creation science, there's a lot of stuff out there for your consideration. And there's a lot of good stuff. Just remember this. God's word is our authority. Not man's opinions, not man's theories. I really enjoy this topic. I could get caught up in this and, and, and just enjoy it thoroughly. I'm fighting the temptation of veering off course and, and doing that little mini-series within our greater series. But remember I mentioned last week, I'm of the opinion the flood changed our earth atmospherically, climatologically, and geologically. Uh, remember that when it comes to geology, some Christians were beginning to panic back in the mid to late 1800s as geologists were beginning to suggest that the earth was millions and billions of years old, which contradicts the Bible. So room in the Bible was sought to account for these so-called findings. And now in many camps, you can find the millions and billions of years tucked in between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 1. I don't hold to that. I think the Bible is pretty clear. But remember this, erroneous teachings always develop when people try to conform the Bible to the world's theories. That's happened here in Genesis. Since geology is one of the major issues that are used to attack the book of Genesis, I want to kind of tie a ribbon over this thought of the flood with uh, showing you this two-and-a-half-minute video It's what occurred at Mount St. Helens. Maybe some of you are familiar with some of these studies. And how what happened during the eruption of Mount St. Helens shows how easily a great flood could cause everything we see upon the earth today. Now, it's not the best quality, but it's food for thought. On May 18, 1980, Mount St. Helens located 95 miles south of Seattle, Washington, erupted. The eruption was triggered by an earthquake centered beneath the mountain that measured 5.1 on the Richter scale. The lateral blast swept out the north side of Mount St. Helens at 300 miles per hour, with temperatures as high as 660 degrees Fahrenheit and the power of 24 megatons of thermal energy, it snapped 100-year-old trees like toothpicks and stripped them of their bark. Before the famous eruption at Mount St. Helens, scientists were mostly familiar with slow-acting examples of geologic change. But at Mount St. Helens, geologists watched the Earth's surface change quite rapidly. Icebergs were buried in hot avalanche material. They melted and formed badlands in days. Eruptions on May 18 and June 10 produced fine layers in hours. On June 10, mud flows cut zigzag canyons 100 feet deep in soft sand and mud, complete with perpendicular side canyons. 
Canyons that are reminiscent of the geography of Grand Canyon, only 40 times smaller and clearly produced within hours. Mud flows over the following decade cut hundreds of feet into solid rock in just days of cutting time. Fallen trees formed a log mat on the surface of Spirit Lake and dropped bark to the bottom of the lake, accumulating up to three feet of bark peat in just a couple years. And vertically floating logs sinking to the bottom of the lake resulted in buried trees in only a decade. Similar to the trees of Yellowstone's fossil forest, which are also buried in volcanic layers. Even though Mount St. Helens is a very small catastrophe compared to the flood or the major catastrophes immediately following the flood, it provides a better clue to what happened in those times than the slow geologic processes which are most commonly seen in the present. All right, so I wanted to show that again just to kind of close this topic out, but really a takeaway from that I wanted you to get is if, if an event like Mount St. Helen left results, then an event like a global flood, flood should leave results. Amen. There should be proof that something happened to this earth. And I think there's plenty of evidence out there, uh, but sadly many are being willing, uh, willingly ignorant, uh, willfully ignorant, as Peter wrote. And so just, just some food for thought there. But I concluded last week with how it was the storms, uh, the storm which lifted the ark heavenward. Uh, it took the, the, the storms of life. Are you with me? We, we heard about that in Sunday school. The, the storms of life that, that we experience today, not weather storms, spiritual storms, life happening, just things that happen, those things are meant to lift us heavenward, to lift us towards God. And it takes storms to bring us into a closer relationship with God. Remember James 1, verses 3 and 4. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. We love patience in America, don't we? But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be entire, wanting nothing. So as a child of God, don't fear the storms. They're on the way. We heard that already. Don't fear the storms, therefore our good and God's glory. So whether you're going through a storm right now or whatever you're going through right now, don't panic. Don't start to worry, but trust in the ark of Christ. And if you're not going through the storm right now, prepare. Gather all that you can. Build the ark because the time's coming that your storm will come. And so God will provide us with peace and safety through the storms if you will just allow him to do that. You have to yield yourself to him. All right, for today, let's remember just real briefly where we're at in our account. God has called Noah and his family into the ark. After seven days, God shut them in. And then God broke up the fountains of the great deep, shooting water up from beneath the earth. The windows of heaven were opened and rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights. And as we covered last week, the waters lifted up the ark the waters increased until the highest point on earth was covered at a depth of 22 and a half feet of water. Now with that, let's read verses 21 through 24 of Genesis chapter 7. The Bible says, And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, 
both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth in 150 days. The Lord said, remember in chapter 6 and in verse 3, that His Spirit would not always strive with mankind. In chapter 6 and verse 7, God said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. God told Noah in chapter 6 and verse 13, The end of all flesh is come before me. I will destroy them with the earth. In chapter 6 and verse 17, Noah, God told Noah, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. In chapter 7 and verse 4, God said to Noah, Every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. God cannot lie. He can't. And God, when He makes a statement, He makes a promise, He will bring it to pass. And God said, I will do this. I will destroy the earth. Numbers 23, 19, Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Habakkuk 2.3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So God had an appointed time here in chapter 7. Though God had tarried for 120 years, because He is merciful, He is long-suffering, He's not willing that any should perish, that God gave them time to repent. He foretold of what was going to come to pass. And though many chose not to believe, His word as He spoke it is now coming to pass. And His global judgment suddenly came upon this earth. And here in our text today, we see the awful reality of sin. The devil doesn't show you the end result of sin. He doesn't show you the bum passed out in the, uh, the gutter drunk. Doesn't show you the drug addict trying to sell their, never mind, just to get another hit. They don't show, Satan does not show you those things. And, and we don't often understand the end result of sin, especially as we watch young people make decisions and we go, if you only knew where that was leading you. Amen. 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 And Satan doesn't show you the end result of that. He just gets you to understand that this will feel good. This will be fun. And we see here the, the, the result of sin, the beginning of verse 21, and all flesh died. In verse 22, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, all that was in the dry land died. Verse 23, and every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground. Now let's pause for just a minute. Let's remember this isn't how God created things. When God created this world and He, he, he made it perfect, He created man sinlessly Perfect. Man was created in God's image and in God's likeness. In Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. God does not make junk. Amen? In the beginning, the earth knew nothing of death. There had been no death. 
uh, until Adam and Eve sinned. They were living in perfect fellowship with their God, their Creator in the Garden of Eden. But then Satan showed up. Through his subtlety, he deceived and tempted Eve through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then she gave unto Adam who was there with her, and he just flat out rebelled against God. And now with sin entering the world in Genesis chapter 3, death came by sin and death passed upon all men in that all have sinned. From that point forward, sin reigned unto death. And with every passing generation, man became more and more corrupt. The earth was increasingly filled with violence until after 1,656 years, God finally had enough. And He unleashed His wrath upon an ungodly and wicked world. And now in these verses, as Psalms 46 and verse 8 says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations He hath made in the earth. We see how severe and far-reaching God's judgment was here in our text. Mankind was in the wrong, but God also destroyed the animal, the air-breathing animals along with man that were outside of the ark. Why so severe of a judgment against the animal kingdom? Couldn't God just kill the wicked and not have to destroy all the animals with a flood? Well, first, as Job 9.12 says, Behold, he taketh away, who can hinder him? Who shall say unto him, what doest thou? Okay, what's your point? God can do what he wants. <laughs> Whenever he wants, however he wants. He has created things for his pleasure. And so he can do with that as he sees fit. As the creator, none can hinder him, and none can question him when all is said and done. Also, God had given man dominion over all the earth, and so the animals were subject to man. Once mankind fell, they unwillingly became the servants of sin. They were corrupted by man's corruption. God was not only destroying man, but all that he had corrupted. We are reminded of this fact in Romans 8, verses 20 through 22. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Who brought that corruption? Man did. Into the glorious liberty of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. But God also destroyed the land creatures because it was His wisdom to do so. Understand that He proportionately reduced the animals so that when man came off the ark, he's not overtaken by all the animals. And so, well, of course, if he was on the ark, he would have flooded it. That made no sense. Um, <laughs> let me back up a little bit. If he had not destroyed them in a flood, then, and all that was left was eight souls, all these animals on the earth would overtake the earth, and then it would be like man's no longer in dominion. And so God, he, he destroys them to proportionately reduce it. God, listen to this. God told the children of Israel in Exodus 23, 29, he said that he wouldn't drive out the wicked inhabitants of the land before the children of Israel arrived. And here's the reason he gave. Lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. And so God had a, a wise purpose 
for how he did things during the flood. He was, listen, he was really being merciful to the eight souls upon the ark so that uh, when they exited the ark, there wasn't all this animal kingdom that could multiply against them. So uh, God was being good uh, because he's good. And of course, not only were the land animals destroyed, in a sense I say, who cares? But now I get this. I know I'm not an animal lover. I'm trying, amen? I'm trying. I got two cats in the house right now. Give me a break. They're not my cats, Grant. I'm just saying. They're, they're not my cats. All right, that, that aside, um, you know, I would have left the cats off the ark, but that's just me. Um, where are we at? So not only were the land animals destroyed, but unrepentant man. We're told in verse 21, every man died. Verse 22, all died. Verse 23, man was destroyed. The end of verse 23, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. Listen, every man, woman, and child outside of the ark died. I just let that sink in. And from this, we're reminded just how impactful our lives as parents are to our children. Everyone outside of the ark died. You think the five-year-old knew a whole lot of what was going on? Let's up that age a little bit so we make it a little more real. You think the 14-year-old really understood the ways of righteousness that were outside of the ark? I don't know. But you as parents can impact your children, both positively and negatively. I've always said that they're going to make their own decisions one day. But while they are under your roof, you can impact them. And we see in our text just how impactful our decisions are to our children. The animals were destroyed because they were subject to man, so children were destroyed because they were subject to the decisions of their sinful parents. It's okay to say amen. Now, I personally believe the Bible teaches an age of accountability. I believe that. We can debate that later. I believe that once a God's not going to condemn a child to hell that doesn't understand. I believe that. I believe there's scriptural reason to support that. But the fact remains, children will suffer as a result of the sinful decisions of their parents. There's examples of this in the scriptures, but the one which immediately comes to my mind and probably yours is Achan. He took the accursed thing from Jericho, but his whole house and his animals suffered. Joshua 7, verses 24 and 25, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold. That's what he took from Jericho. But listen to this. They also took his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. David alone sinned with Bathsheba, but God said the sword will not depart from your house. God dealt with the sinful houses of Korah and Dathan and Abiram in number 16, when he allowed the ground to open up and swallow them alive. The effects of sinful decisions often reach further than just the person committing the sin. The sinful addictions of gambling and drunkenness, drugs and perversions, just to name a few, 
have caused others to suffer who were not partakers of their sinfulness. And it doesn't have to be so obvious. Let's just take the sin of laziness. Maybe you're just disconnected from your kids and, and, and you're too lazy to teach them and to discipline them and to be involved in their lives. And, and listen, we can go on and on about how the sins of others affect people. We see it played out between nations. I'm sure not all the people in Russia wanted to go to war against Ukraine. The sinfulness of mankind affects others. And, and, and listen, it, it can be governmentally. I should have got an amen right there. We live in South Dakota. Listen, we're West River, South Dakota. You should say amen right there. We, we can see it played out governmentally. Amen. If you don't like it, go to the east side. We'll be fine. Right. Oh, sorry, sis. I forgot you were here from Aberdeen. Amen. Um, boy, that was terrible. Um, but, but listen, we see it in churches. Churches have shut down because of the sinfulness of somebody. We see it in our homes. Sin affects our homes. We know in Noah's day the world was corrupt. It was filled with violence. But, but I would suggest to you the overall problem was most people were just apathetic and indifferent. I, I don't know that everybody was a murderer. You with me? But I, to reject God just to be indifferent, just to be apathetic. I don't really care. And, and so God, I look at that scenario play out in my mind and I think it's just like it is today. And God looks down upon this earth and He sees a bunch of apathetic, indifferent people that don't care about the message. Amen. Drive in this summer and you'll see them cutting their grass right as we're coming to church. Indifferent. Don't care. Amen. Is it okay? You're in church this morning. So you can act like everybody else is wrong and you're right. Amen. Just amen. I've read this passage before in this series, Luke 17, verses 26 and 27. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. How did Jesus describe the days of Noah this way? They did eat, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Simply put, we can say it this way, people were more concerned about their own pleasures in life than they were in pleasing God. And I'll say it this way, God was not in all of their thoughts. Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 14, God was warning the children of Israel. He said, Beware lest thou, or beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. In, keeping his, in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes, which I command thee this day. Why was God warning them that? Because of this reason. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, sound like America? Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. We've been so prospered here in the United States that our nation is forgetting about God. And people are forsaking God. And, and we're even more close now than we were yesterday of living in the days of Noah. The Lord's coming again. They were more concerned about extra sleep than spending time with God in His Word. They were more concerned in playtime than they were prayer time. Yeah. 
They were more interested in their hobbies than they were holiness. They were more interested in recreation than God's requirements. They were more concerned with who would show up at their Super Bowl party than they were about showing up at church. Whoop! They're more concerned about uh, who's going to, to show up at all their different parties. I just use a Super Bowl because that's one of the ones that bug me. Than, than God showing up at church. Amen. Listen. They were more concerned about what their friends thought than what their youth pastor was teaching them. I'm talking about being apathetic, being indifferent about the things of God. They're more concerned with what the politicians are saying than what the preacher was saying. They're more concerned about what the world thought than what God thought about the world. They're more concerned in what they possessed instead of God possessing them. They were more concerned with who was following them on Facebook than them following God. They were more concerned with serving self than serving God. They were more concerned with having the latest gadgets and toys than honoring God with their increase. They're more concerned about reaching a higher level on their video game down in their parents' basement than they are in reaching a higher level with God. Whoop! Listen, I'm about to get a preaching storm on. You might as well say amen. And and listen, they're more concerned about feeling comfortable than conforming to God's Word. They're more concerned with their careers than they were in God's calling. They're more concerned with doing well here below than hearing well done there above. They wanted their time, and I don't want to be inconvenienced by anybody else. I just want to get all I can out of life, and I have no concern for the next life. I'll guarantee you, if you're on your deathbed, you're going to be thinking about the next life. They just went through life saying, let's eat, drink, and be merry until the day that the flood came and destroyed them all. Job 21, verses 7 through 15. Wherefore do the wicked live, become old, yea, are mighty in power? Their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull gendereth and faileth not. Their cow calveth and casteth not her calf. They send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance. They take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. Therefore they say unto God, depart from us. For we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto Him? The days of Noah and the days of today. Life just keeps marching on. And there's more concern for physical health than there is spiritual health. Say, how do you know that? Let somebody get cancer. I guarantee you they're down at the Mayo Clinic eight hours away, but they couldn't come across the street to church. Somebody say amen. amen. Are they saying amen and I can't hear? Oh, okay. Sorry. My wife knows I'm deaf. After the service, she upbraids me. She's like, everybody's saying amen. Stop asking. <laughs> Even Justin said it. Wow. wow. Pastor DeGarmo just took a lap. Amen. But we see it, don't we? People just go about their life without any concern about the judgment to come. 
Job said they go down to the grave in a moment. Jesus said they were careless until the day that the flood came. And he went on to say in that same passage in Luke 17, verses 28 and 29, Likewise also it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. What's, what's Jesus saying? They just live life. But what does it say next? But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. The Bible tells us the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5.3 For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. They shall not escape. God's global judgment and His wrath is on the way again. He said so. He cannot lie. And though He tarries, because He's long-suffering, it's for an appointed time. And it will surely come to pass. Now, can you imagine what's going through the minds of those outside of the ark? They were apathetic and indifferent to the things of God. Don't care what the preacher's saying. Don't care what the youth pastor's trying to teach me. Doesn't matter to me. I, I just feel like it's more important for me to watch who wins the game. Just indifferent, just apathetic. They heard the message, they rejected it. But what, you, what do you reckon went through their minds when the fountains of the great deep broke forth? The rains began to fall. What do you suppose they thought then? Matthew Henry wrote, They were drowned in security and sensuality before they were drowned in those waters. Crying peace, peace to themselves, deaf and blind to all divine warnings. But oh, what an amazement were they in then. Now they see and feel that which they would not believe and fear and are convinced of their folly when it is too late. Now they find no place for repentance, though they seek it carefully with tears. End quote. They mocked God's message and God's messenger. They mocked God's provision in that ark. But as Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Can you imagine all of their efforts in that moment to try and preserve their life. I remember when the tsunami hit Indonesia, I think it was, watching people on the roofs and on the trees. Can you imagine what these people were doing in that moment? Scurrying to high, higher ground, climbing up trees, trying to reach the ark and cling to it and climb up it. Can you hear him pleading with Noah to get in? Luke 13, 26. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunken, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. Noah had taught in their streets. Noah taught them, but no one cared. And now the door of our Lord shut, and there's, it's the door that the Lord closes and no man opens. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 24 through 31. God says, I have called and ye refused. 
I stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel, and with none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would nut of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. And so at last the floodwaters overtook them. They're consumed in the wrath of God. And so it'll be when our Lord comes again. How suddenly will people realize their foolishness in rejecting God's Christ. Listen, I don't have time to get into it. I sure want to. You go over to the Revelation and what you'll find is there's no doubting who this one returning is. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. The world will know who He is in that hour. If you're not in Christ today, what's going to be your plea? Matthew 7, and 23 says, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. In other words, they're going to try religion. And the Bible says, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Isaiah 10, 3, And what will ye do in the day of visitation, and in the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will ye flee for help? And where will ye leave your glory? Listen, God's word tells us in Hebrews 10, 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Nahum 1, 6, Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire. If you haven't learned to fear God enough to run to Him for salvation, then you will fear Him when He comes for you. But it'll be too late in that day. Proverbs eleven twenty one: Though hand joined in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. There's anyone here not in the ark of Christ today, you should be asking yourself, how do I become the seed of the righteous so that I can be delivered from God's wrath to come? Well, it's only through Christ and His blood. You have a debt you cannot pay. But He paid the debt He did not owe. Christ died for your sins. And if you'll receive His free gift of salvation through faith, He'll give you His righteousness. And you'll be delivered. It's that simple. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, God wants us to learn from this account. These things are written for our admonition. Eliphaz said in Job 22, 15, and 16, Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden? which were cut down out of time, whose foundation was overflown with a flood. 
have you marked, have you marked it down? Have you, have you marked what took place back here in Genesis 7? And back to one of my early points, have you marked the end of the sinner? Have you watched it unfold and said, that's not what I want for my life? We're given this account to learn of what is to come. And you don't have to endure God's wrath. Why not? Because Jesus already endured it for you. He took your place on the cross and He took your sin to Himself. He's paid for your sin. The gift of God is eternal life. Will you fear Him enough to receive it? Or just go on in your indifference and apathy? Let's pray.